bringing their problems to me for as long as I can remember. I have one of those faces that just says, tell me what's going on. And now I have one of those podcasts that says, go ahead, tell me what's going on. Welcome to Mess in Progress. Hey guys, and welcome to Mess in Progress with myself, Gina Brion. I said progress. Mess in progress. Mess in progress with myself, Gina Brion, and my lovely co-host, slash everything person, Kathleen G. Mendoza. Kathleen, say hi to the people. Hello, people. <laughs> I don't know what is with me. It's because I'm deliriously tired. Uh, I am, uh, I'm pumping right now, so uh, you're seeing my anime boobs, if you are wondering. <laughs> I have uh, anime boobs currently because I have my um, cordless pumps, a wireless pumps, I don't know what you would call them, uh, on the boobs right now. Pumps. My pumps, my lovely lady lumps right now are bigger than they <laughs> normally are. Um, so this, this is the life of a mom. This is what happens when you are trying to do the booby feeding and you have a schedule that you have to pump on and you have to be on that schedule, which is why people make breast pumps so damn expensive. At least though, like from this angle, you look, um, you just look chesty. Like it doesn't look like there's like a machine on it. It does look like you have like one hell of a, like padded bra. Yeah, right. That's what it looks like. Like I've got, I mean, they, they would clearly, if they were real, they would clearly be fake titties. Like these would be fake titties. Like they would not, if you're trying to picture what real actual big boobs would look on me, that is not what you're seeing. No, picture the fakest boobs possible on someone's chest. You wanna know why? It's because they're like all in the front and boobs should have like that, like not spillage per se, but there should be some like, Side boob, top boob, you know what I mean? And literally just, it looks perky. Yeah, like, perky, like fake boobs, like those yeah. fake perky boobs that you would see on like a, a porn star. This is a, this is our porn episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the <laughs> progress where Gina is wearing anime titties. I apologize to my relatives that listen to this podcast or are listening right now. That's and, uh, all of my relatives. Re- relatives. That's how my brother says it. Oh, I love how Steven pronounces things. He can have his own language if he wanted to. So he does. This week, um, my manager, Jenny, whom I love, she sent me a link to a Zoom that I could not attend because I was already doing something else, um, where comedy club owners and managers were going to talk to council people about what the opening would look like and give their demands, essentially. Like, this is what we want. And low-key, super psyched. Um, But I'm also very cautious. What? I mean, I don't know what they are. Um, Let me go through this list. I happen to have it handy right here. Sorry, I had to move my computer because I was looking very angelic and not in a very flattering way. It was just... It was. You were getting a halo. Yes. The Lord was like, uh, I did not give her them titties. Um, First thing they said is allow outdoor performances to happen immediately, which is honestly already happening. I did a show in the park last week, Astoria Park. It really is Astoria area, and you'd like to come see your girl. Uh, check out my social media outlets, and I'll tell you where I'm at. Um, allow clubs to be included with restaurants at 25% capacity for indoor service. Um, right. That was one I know that um, Chris Mazzilli over at Gotham and I had discussed. Since they serve food and they serve beverages as well, 
you know, technically they should be included in those restaurant, in the restaurant rules. So I think that could work out for comic, for comedy clubs like The Cellar, comedy clubs like Gotham, if you serve food and, you know, drinks. Uh, number three is allow venues to be included with indoor bowling at 50% occupancy without food and beverage service immediately. So that's like, apparently you can go and bowl if you didn't know right now, bowling lanes are 50% capacity. And so comedy clubs are basically asking that that be extended to them too, even if they can't serve like food and drinks, like just that it be extended to them as well. That same kind of courtesy. And the last one is tell us what the metrics are. Uh, like just what, what are the numbers we're looking at right now? Like what, what is going on? And Who so go to, cause I'm so confused as to like why this is sent to a comment. Yeah, it's well, it's it's just to inform me of what the club owners are doing, because every club owner in, you know, in, especially in New York City, where, you know, we have quite a few major clubs when it comes to comedy clubs, um, they've been struggling. You know, they've been out of business, their staff has been out of work. And so for them, it's been a real struggle and a real question of like, when we come back, what is it going to look like? Are we going to be able to come back? Some comedy clubs didn't make it. I know smaller clubs that have already closed, that have already like, they're like, we, we never, they closed right at the beginning. We wouldn't, we wouldn't survive this at all. And I feel terrible because this is, this is the industry I love. This is the business I love. And so it kind of bums me out the amount of people that have lost money in it and the question of whether or not comedy will survive in right. the new normal. I'm still not sure what this list, like why this list is being sent to comics. Like, cause a lot of it sounds like, that, you know what I mean? Like I, I'm, I'm just confused. Cause I'm like, I was listening to it and I'm like, is this already in place or is this being asked of like, being asked. this isn't in place. The problem is it isn't in place. So who are they asking? Uh, the governor, I believe. Okay, So why is it? And I'm just curious. Why did they send this to comics? Most likely just to let us know, like, hey, these are the actions we're taking so that you guys still have work. Don't think that we've given up. Because a lot of comics I know, a lot of them are like, and some of them, you know, are very established comics are like, I have to figure out a new plan of action. Like, I have to get a day job, and I haven't had a day job in 20-some-odd years. Okay, I'm gonna play a devil's advocate here. I feel like this is being sent out because a lot of comics I've, I've seen are also making their own shows. And I feel like the comedy clubs are covering their ass in going, why do they need our club anymore if they are realizing the power of social media, they're realizing the power of like gathering as like yeah. comics without the need of the club. Well, you know what I mean? Like there are comics that are producing their own shows, but there's also clubs that are producing outdoor shows. No, so yeah. I'm not missing out on outdoor shows. Um, I don't think they're terribly threatened by comics that are putting on their own show because they know that comics are doing that because it's their only option. We don't right. no, have our own shows. It's a, you know, it's a more of a hassle to produce and run your own show than just to obviously just to call in for avails and just be given a spot. No, of course. I mean, at the bigger clubs, of course, right? Like, yeah. I think, like, I'm, and again, devil's advocate. I'm like, on one end, 
I could see the seller not being worried about like, yeah, I'm not going to say anything, but like in comparison, because they do have a legacy, but they probably are worried on like, okay, let's just say the governor passes all of this. Where are you going to put it? Like you're literally on McDougal. You don't have outside seating that can fit yeah. enough people. Like my brain was like, you know that little alleyway that's on McDougal right around the corner from them? Y'all gonna have to block party this stuff, yeah. close down that street, and then what happens when it gets to winter? Like well, that's you, what I think that's why the comedy clubs are pushing for this now because they're like, winter is coming. These outdoor shows are going to fade away. Nobody's going to want to perform outdoors in the winter. Well, no, I say this respectfully. Nobody's going to want to pay to come see comedy outdoors. Well, nobody. Like, that's the thing. Like, I don't think anybody's paying to see these shows. Um, and so I don't think that'll be an issue. I think attendance will be an issue when winter comes because nobody's going to want to sit outside. Yeah. It's stupid, crazy, but funky cold, especially in New York. If we was in California, yeah, hell yeah, outdoor shows all the year. But this is why I'm saying that I, in my brain, feel like um, I could see them worried, like comedy clubs worried, because look at it like this, okay? You put somebody who's kind of like, let's just say a me, right? Who has produced to any level. I've never produced a comedy show and I'm not going to say it's easy to produce a comedy show, but let's just say me and you produce a comedy show together. I just do it as a producer. You, you are the headliner, right? Mm -hmm. And then I get you to find five or six other people. If I can produce that show like in like a warehouse in the Bronx, let's just say because warehouses are big, mm -hmm. right? That just launched my career as a comedy, like, show thrower or whatever we call it. have done that already with a lot of the rooms in Brooklyn. Like, there yeah. was a room in Brooklyn that I went to that was a garage. Yeah. Where I just went in and we were performing in a garage. So that was happening already regardless. Do I think that's an issue? Not for, not really even for New York clubs. Like, not for New York clubs because they're not afraid of losing that business because especially clubs like the seller like the clubs that might be worried about it are not the bigger clubs but you know i think it would be smart of like the seller for instance yeah who take heed to like what people have been doing yeah yeah partnering up with these people and then going we're gonna supply you our waiters we're gonna supply you our staff basically we just need these like what y'all have already been forming over the summer and then it being like the commonly i mean commonly the um the seller presents but yeah, it's at a different location i agree 100 agree that yeah. they should be more comedy clubs should be setting up shows there should be a comedy show by gotham done at this place a comedy show by caroline's done at this place a comedy show by the seller done at this place totally totally especially if it was the seller people would flock to it to see oh, yeah you know, if you're like, oh, Washington Square, in Washington Square Park during the summer, you pick a fucking a piece of grass and just do it. Like, that's what they did in Central Park. They did, not Central Park, Astoria Park, where I performed. They just picked a piece of grass. Right, but my, my brain is still thinking winter. Like, I'm, I'm thinking less right, summer. Yeah. I'm like, where, because again, that's why I said like, the. I'm just using the Bronx as an example. Yeah. But yes, it could be Brooklyn. Because it's you amazing. Think, 
you, you think, no, I'm just thinking it has way more empty spaces like available. Wow. It's a fact. Um, especially in the Mont Haven area. No. What? I mean, tell me I'm lying. You're right though. Yes, there's a lot of vacancy. So I feel like in like, if you go to like Williamsburg, there still are warehouses that are big enough. So yes, it's indoors, but you can six feet apart people. The thing is a lot of these comedy clubs, the traditional ones are so centralized to Manhattan and Manhattan does not have the space for that anymore. Like, so as the winter comes and you cancel outside, I hope that these owners who have been in the game forever, kind of like are forced to modernize in a way that they haven't been before. Yeah. Like, you know, the way everybody else has had to kind of like get on tune with like online stuff, like learning how to do that. Well, the comedy club owners are going to have to get on tune with like, you can't rely with people coming to you. Now you're going to have to go to like those places. Them, you know what I mean? Like incentive to come to you. How do they know they're going to be safe? How do they know that you've cleaned the place? How do they know? What are they going to get? Because you can't just treat it like you're doing them a favor anymore. Now you need to recoup expenses. Now you need to, I mean, the seller will not, I feel like the seller will not have a, a will care in the world if they opened up at 50% capacity, you know, and did shorter shows and shorter staffed shows. They would probably be, they would just have to add more shows. That, that would be it. They would just have to add more shows. Ooh, it's almost time for me to take these anime titties off. I don't know how we're going to do that transition. I'm like, should I just step off camera and remove them? Um, just, you know, we'll, we'll say, and then you take a pause, and we'll come back to them. We'll come back. Coming back from, uh, from the titty break. We took a titty break. We took a small titty, not a small titty, a big titty break. We took a big titty break. <laughs> we take a, we're going to take a big titty break. Actually, I'm going to stop them right now. Okay. Boom. Pause. They pause both of them. Pause. Okay. <laughs> this, this is, this is um, enlightening for whomever is watching this. Yes. I am holding my anime boobs so you can see the weight of the robotic boobs that are on me right now. We will take a momentary pause and be right back with more Mess in Progress after this big titty break. Oh, my standard. And we're back. And I have regular boobs. Uh, so disappointing now. So disappointing after seeing my anime boobs. Sorry, fellas. <laughs> Sorry, fellas. Sorry, fellas. And ladies and ladies. And ladies. Anyway. Everybody Either way, it's a compliment. Thank you. Um, yes, yes, yes. Um, what were we talking about before we left? Before we left, besides my anime boobs, we were talking about the comedy clubs and coming back and everything that, that involves that. I mean, I'm excited for comedy clubs to come back. I just want to make sure that we're going to have, you know, obviously good quality shows. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm not a comic, so I don't have the experience that you have, right? Like, I've only sat as a as a, a audience member i think uh two things one comedy clubs are extremely intimate they just are there that's by design mm -hmm. um that is almost the biggest flaw it has at the moment that it's meant to be intimate. literally it's meant to be like a strip club in vegas no windows no nothing yeah. so you don't feel like there's like like air ventilating like that's problematic in this COVID era Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, I, I, you know what I mean? Um, so that I would worry when 
the first comedy club that decides to do it inside their actual facility. Yeah. Um, especially something like the cellar, which is literally a basement. Um, right? And it's not like just a basement. It is the most quintessential New York City, like tight space basement there ever was. Um, but another thing is, and this is just me kind of being low-key germaphobic, um, they don't always seem the cleanest. And I know that sounds weird, but like, I don't mean clean in like the mugs. I don't mean clean in like the dishes. I'm yeah. talking about because they're so dim and dark, just naturally, you don't, cons well, the previous, like before COVID, we didn't think of like, I'm sitting where somebody else was sitting a second ago. I'm touching literally everything. We didn't think about that. I mean, some of us did, some of us didn't where now we think about that so much that I'm almost like, are y'all gonna be disinfecting every seat? Because four every shows a night- Every show? Right, four shows a night is, I mean, how many times have I gone with you to a club, um, uh, just in, in particular, uh, uh, Gotham, mm -hmm. right? The comics table. How many times have I gone to you with a sh to a show? We'll sit through four shows You'll be like the third show, but then we'll stay for the last one, right? We literally sit in a corner that entire time. But so I've seen that they do wipe down the tables. I, I've seen that it, it isn't like filthy. That's not the way I'm trying to say it. But I'm literally kind of like on some, are you about to Febreze the way they were doing the, you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. Febreze, excuse me, sanitize. It's, you know, it's also a time thing. How many right. shows are you having? How much time do you have in between shows to thoroughly clean? Right. I know that's one of the issues they're going to run into because a quick turnover is great, but in these times, what you want is an effective turnover where it's just like everything has been sanitized, everything is clean, everything is fresh. Let's bring in these new people. You know, are they going to check temperatures when people come in? Are they like, what, what are the new rules going to be? Is it going to be give me your cell phone and let me check your temperature? Because the new thing at comedy clubs was, let me get your cell phone. We're going to put it in a Ziploc bag so that you don't disrupt the show. That was the well, thing. The temperature thing, because I went to the Apple store the other day. Um, uh, and they literally just like had a machine that they put on your yeah. forehead. So that's not the biggest deal. Like, because you can do that, right? And I think people will become used to that but the cell phone thing yes because like people i don't know people feel weird about you touching everything that is theirs like no matter what people feel weird about leaving i just think we're living in a different time it's going to be very interesting to see how they um turn around this intimate purposeful intimate space yeah keeping that like that essence but shifting right like I don't know. I, I can't even imagine what that looked like, but. It'll be interesting to see what they, what clubs implement what things and what clubs don't. Because mm. um, you know, there'll be a few people that are like, look, I'll do what I need to do, but I'm not doing all that extra stuff. Right. And I mean, I think that that in itself, and no, no offense to whomever doesn't do it, but the fact of the matter is that we're living in a time that if, they, if, if somebody decides to do that, yeah. then they're going to become the club that motherfuckers is going to, oh, excuse my language. Um, but people are going to be like, 103 people died of COVID and they're linked to so-and-so club. And then it's like, bye-bye, you just got yourself shut down.
Yeah, you just got that's, what the, that's what's right. gonna happen. You know how like we have like um ratings, like A, yeah. B. That's literally what probably I could see happening for like cleanliness, where it's like you got some shit like that. There is no more like if and or but. Shut them down. Yeah, they, shut them down. It's over. Right, because then it's also a question of God forbid this was to happen again, COVID two point Yeah, they just showed like everybody in the community, huh? They just showed everybody in the community that they're not even willing to adjust and comply to the first round of this. So what makes you think they're going to do it when, if God forbid, COVID point yeah. two comes out? Yeah, during the second the second coming of COVID, mm -hmm. uh, what businesses are going to be ousted because of their basically the hand they played in it it's like right. what what did you do or not do to add to the problem because the last thing we want the last thing i think we can take is another lockdown yes I, 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 whether this year next year or five to ten yeah. it does not matter like i don't think i mean and i could say i'm saying that for other people i have started actually getting to a place where like other than financial because like Work is not easy to find at this time. Yeah. Um, in many ways, to me personally, I think that the lockdown, now I've reached a place where I'm almost grateful for it because it has put so many people that I know, myself included, in their person. Like it has forced us to be in our person. Yeah. And whatever that means to you is what it means to you. But the self-analyzation and all of that it has to have happened. Like whether you liked it or not, whether you accepted it or not, it has to have happened because we were forced to sit and just be. So I'm kind of grateful for the time for that, not grateful for the circumstance. Yeah, totally. I think the time that we've all had to stay home and reflect and really become more self-aware throughout this whole thing. Mm -hmm. You know, relationships. I mean, relationships have ended. Mm -hmm. People have stopped being friends like this really affected people in how they see other people and how they see themselves and i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing i agree with you i i don't like the circumstances but i think having to do that as like as a whole as a group of people it's not like oh i decided to stay home it's like we were forced to stay and we were forced in this lockdown so now you had to really get to know yourself and yeah. how much of yourself do you really mess with on an everyday basis? <laughs> Yo, facts. You know, like how much of me can I take of my attitude, of, of my strengths, of my weaknesses, of my frustrations, of my insecurities? How much of that can I take throughout this whole process, especially if you're not by yourself? Yeah. Other people that can react to you that are becoming just as self-aware as you are. Yep. Or how much can you take of others? Like one of my favorite things now is, um, I mean, I've always been slightly good at this, but now I'm much better. Uh, the ability of saying no to certain things, like especially um, invites. So I, whether it's an invite to, I haven't had many, but I have had invites with people. At, and, um, you know, I'm actually sounding really particular, like, uh, yeah, where are we going? If we're not going to a specific type of area that still makes me feel safe, thank you for the invite, but no. And, and please don't take it personal. But if you take it personal, then we probably shouldn't be messing with each other because yeah. there's, there's no personal here. Um, even work. So I'm not in the position to be turning down work. But 
I'm also not in the mental space to have people hitting me up, constantly telling me, um, and then when I say constantly, I mean literally every project. This is a quick, tur quick turnaround. We need it ASAP. Let me tell you why. Because mentally, that is not okay to do to people going through what has been happening through COVID. You don't hit people in certain professions and literally everything is, I need this done in two weeks. Especially for me, somebody who does like video content, that's just not how it works. You know what I mean? So like, if you want me to do, hypothetically, four videos, um, but you're giving me nine to 10 days, that's unrealistic. That's unrealistic for so many reasons. And number one, and number two, that's really rude mentally to do to somebody in general, but especially now, because people, no matter who you are, I don't care how much money you have, we're all going through something, even to this degree where it's lightened up compared to like March, lightened up, quote unquote. But I mean, the closer we get to like even election day, it's still not lightened up, right? So mentally, we're all in a place to tell somebody like, I got an offer for you, but you literally need to, you know, um, work your arm and, uh, what is it, an arm and a leg? Yeah, and you break your back to do this. And it's like, no, nah, we not in break back and, like, break back and, <laughs> break back, back break. Why can't I talk today? Back breaking mood. We're not in that no. mood anymore. No. It's, you can't press me. Like, life is different right now. And then you want to know the worst part about it? that people do that because they also do know that people are desperate for money. That's messed up, yo. That's messed up. Of course, you that's so manipulative to do to somebody. Like, you know their financial situation. You know nobody's financial situation is right in this, in this freaking pandemic. Nobody's. And you're gonna press somebody like that when you know they're already panicking about their money. Right. And right. now you're trying to basically strong arm them into yeah. something. Yeah. That's like, that's like, I mean, I, 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 that's as if, I mean, I think for you, it's a little bit different because uh, your industry just works, like you said, with avails and it's a little bit different. And then I also think that you have such solid relationships that you now being a new mother, I'm sure people take those things into account. But let's just say, I do understand, yeah. Right. But let's just say it wasn't you, for instance. That would still be like somebody going, um, like, kind of like in the beginning of your career, mm -hmm. if somebody was like, yo, uh, we need you, <clears throat> excuse me, to write this hour special and it's filming in a month. You bugging. Yeah, you, you bugging. You're bugging. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's, yeah. the, that's the equivalent to making original content, for instance, in my, in my yeah. um, industry. So making original content that then you want to have feedback on. That, how dare you? So I think the no's for me have not been like, no, I don't give people outright no's. I give people even explanations. So you yeah. don't, I go, that's, you know, it's very unrealistic. I, you know, I pride myself in quality work. So yeah. you're not giving me that time. Knowing for sure also that a lot of people don't want to get called out for being the one who's like using people, but not caring about like where they are. Because a lot of places, a lot of, I, I know in my side of the industry, a lot of people are trying to be very like conscious so, okay, how conscious are you trying to be if somebody's telling you this would literally put me out nine days of sleep just to get you your yeah. product for what? A, a few G's? It, you know what I mean? Like, lucky a few G's because nobody's even paying 
what they used to pay for stuff anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's like basically, I'm, I'm, uh, I hate to use this, but I, I'm prostituting my skill out of desperation. And I'm, I'm, I'm always willing to put in the extra effort, the extra work, but not when I notice it as a pattern. Like every single time they're like, oh, we need you, like, we, we need this done ASAP. And then the next project, ASAP. Like, dude. Can I get my pay ASAP? Oh, right. Be an issue? Oh, that's going to be an issue. So I can't get right. my pay ASAP, but you right. can get the product ASAP. Oh, right. we are bugging. Yep, yep, yep. No, that's, that's, that's where we are. So, uh, yes, the no's, the, the, the learning your boundaries, your limits, you're not going to work for me. And you know, taking the L, if it, if you need to, because that that's hard. Saying no is hard at any time. Now, particularly, but. No, I turned down some shows, and I think when people think that I turned down shows, they probably think like, "Oh, she being bougie. She don't want to do this show." No, I want to do every show. Like you don't understand. Like I miss being up in front of people. I miss physically doing comedy. I've done virtual shows. I avoided them as long as I could, but it got to a point where it was like, I need to do something. Like, this is my outlet. I don't have it anymore. And there's not enough outdoor shows going on that can, they're not going to book me every week. There's other comics that need work that want to be out there. And so when I'm turning down shows, it's not on some, some bougie thing, unless your show is truly trash, and then I am too bougie for you. However, 90% of the time, I mean, Catherine, you were with me the night that I was uh, did Seth Meyers and I, we went to the Bronx and I did a show right after doing Seth Meyers. That's how, that's how much of a stage hoe I am that I will go from TV and being like all dolled up to going to do a little room in the Bronx just to get back on stage the same night. I didn't need to, but I was jonesing for some stage time. Right. Right. No. Yeah. You end up prostituting yourself for the career that you love. Right, but I'm not going to prostitute myself for another person's lack of organization. Yeah. And at the end of the day, when I'm very well aware that they're making out much better than I am financially. For me, as filler. If you hit me up and you're using me as filler. Yes. No. Nah. And yeah. I've been hit up by people that I know I'm being used as just filler. Like, <clears throat> you don't really mess with me, but you need filler for your show. You need, you need another comic. So yeah. it's not that it's me and that you respect me and that you respect what I do. It's that you just need another person there. Yes. Yeah. That's the exact same thing. Like I, you know, my, uh, my, 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 my uh, circle um, of producers, especially digital content producers is very small. So the worst is then you hear like this, this, this was a last minute project, but you're like, really? Because my friend told me you hit him up about it like three weeks ago. But I don't say that. I just know. Like, at least keep it a buck. At least tell me, listen, like, I, you, nobody will ever say you're the last option. But, but don't tell me that this is a last minute project. Although I no. would almost respect that if somebody yeah. said, hey, look, you're not the first person I contacted about this. There's other people that are not available. So I'm getting desperate. Yes. I need somebody to do this. Because that's, that's honest. But that's also when you have to be open to the negotiation with this yes. person. And you can't just be like, no, well, this is what they want. Baby girl, baby boy, you the one who prolonged, like you wasn't hitting up the correct role. Listen, I don't know what to tell you. You're, I understand, and I never am somebody who wants people to get in trouble with their clients, ever. 
but the responsibility of the relationship between a client and someone else is not of the person you are hiring to freelance. Yeah. So if you overpromised, you don't make the other person's life harder. You figure out a way to get the extension or possibly lose the connection because you faulted. Yeah. Not that person. You messed up. It wasn't somebody, not a third party individual that you involve in your business. Oh. This yep. person you are involving most likely is here to clean up your mess. Yep. I've had this, I've had this on multiple situations with people who had clients and then I've also had people who internally had their own deadlines but did not set up properly. And each time I was willing to be flexible, but I'm not willing to give you my firstborn child. Yeah. Like <laughs> you're not that I've done that a lot. And, 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 and frankly, Sometimes it's worked in my favor, but that's not even 50% of the time. Maybe yeah. like 10 to 15% of the time it's worked in my favor. When people say you got to like, you know, hustle and uh, uh, sometimes go a little bit extra. Sure, but know when it works for you. No, I think that that mentality that like everybody has to like, um, you know, get coffee, do grunt work is why people then use people in desperation is is the thing that people hang over. There's nothing wrong with working your way up the ladder, but it's also pay attention to where you're at. Like, are they still treating you like a PA when you're a producer? Like, pay attention to where you're at and learn how to check people for treating you that way. Because yep. the problem is not coming up the ladder. The problem is knowing how you should be treated at each rung of the ladder. And our issue, especially like for people of color, for women, a lot of our issue is that I don't speak up because of the whole authority figure thing. I don't want to tell you something because you're technically my boss. I'm technically supposed to be working for you. But the way that you're talking to me and treating me is wildly disrespectful and I shouldn't be working for somebody like you. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid to say those things because we get treated that way. Like I've been treated, there was a, I, when I was on tour with Gabriel and this is just, this is, this is why there's a lot of people who are like, do you know who I am? Like, this is why there's a lot of people that are like this. I was at a club in Florida and this, uh, one of the club owners, no idea who I was. Now mind you, this was like an offshoot show from our regular tour route. This was like some, an extra show we added. So we're in this, this club that we thought was gonna be tiny. It ended up being a 1500 seat like club, like club club. Mm -hmm. And so we were like, oh, okay. So all of a sudden, you know, they wanted to sell Gabriel's merch and they wanted all this other stuff. So we're scrambling and we're helping each other out. And I was asked to go get change. And I said, okay, fine, I'll go get change. The security guard was taking me to go get change. I said, cool. Mm -hmm. I guess one of the club managers was asking me a question and I didn't hear her because I turned to walk with the security guard. Mm -hmm. I had stupidly gone to the bar like, hey, can you give me change? And he was like, no, no, we're gonna get you change from another place. And I said, cool, follow the security guard. Manager says something, I don't hear her. She grabs me by the arm. Right, I remember this. As if I was her child. Yeah. Rips me up by the arm. Not softly, not politely. Not like, hey, grabs me like she was mad at me. Yeah, like a mom. Yeah, and I turned around and she's, she's asking me, do you need a table for merchandise? And I was just like, that is not a question for me. That is not my job here. Maribel is selling the merchandise. You can go ask her. And I'm just like looking at this woman, just like, 
how do you, you don't know who I am and you're talking to me like that. Right. No idea who I am, but you're so self-important and you're lucky, lucky. I'm not one of those people that's like, okay, get her out of here now. Right. Right. Which, I mean, that's just, that also says a lot about um, self-awareness in this industry, because this is the thing about this industry and by, by this industry, I'm including the things that I've done and the, and the world that you're in is that this is all entertainment. And so yeah. nobody's job is technically secure unless you're at the top. Yep. Right. So in that situation, this person, their job may be secure at that club, but they may be the reason why a talent like Fluffy never messes with them again. Never goes back or trashes right. them. Even though Gabe's not the type to trash them. No, just anybody I'm to his level. Early with my angry tweets. I'm just saying anybody to his level, yeah. right? Anybody to his level. That could cost you your job. Because if, they, if you cost that club the relationship, unless you are the owner, now you just lost your job because you grabbed exactly. up the wrong person. Yeah, because you gripped up the wrong person. Yep. Speaking of the wrong one, my transitions are terrible. Uh, <laughs> I have no way of transitioning through this, but the other night I was up super late night, um, obviously, because I'm always awake now. I sleep in intervals. All I have in my life are naps now. Um, I, was, I was in between naps, and I started thinking about, like, you know, I have a son. I'm, I'm raising my son. And no matter where the chip falls, no matter where he, want, where he wants to be when he's older, no matter what decisions he makes, you know, I want to raise him to be a good person. Not just specifically a good man, but a good person. Right. But in the, I guess you could say, I don't know what you would call it, the, um, the construct of the gender of male, like I want to bring him up as a good man. But in reality, I just want a good person. I want him to be a good human being. And I was just curious, especially in a world that we live in today, where a lot of men complain about being under fire for certain things like toxic masculinity and all that, how to navigate around that as a mom. So being the obsessive Googler that I am, I Googled raising a good son, uh, raising a good man, and found this really interesting article about how to raise a good man. And I'll just read off some of the pointers and then we can like discuss them. Um, Cause they're, I believe they're pretty self-explanatory. Like the first one is give him a hand at managing his emotions. Mm -hmm. um, I think with little boys, especially, we have a tendency to push them towards be tougher, be tougher, be tougher. We don't let them cry it out. We don't let them, you know, we don't let them feel things. We don't explain the emotions to them like we would with little girls. And I think a lot of that adds to the toxic masculinity we see in men that are older that don't know how to handle their emotions. They yeah. were never explained. Their emotions were never explained to them. No, yeah, I agree. You know, I, I agree about that. I, I mean, I, I, I think that's like, at this point, you know, like in these conversations, to me, that's a very obvious one. Yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah, men don't cry. Boys don't cry. We all know that, right? Like, so I think that... Um, but that, I mean, for you, like your mom, so that's the, the, one of the pieces that you had sent me talked about the father figure. And I thought that was probably the most important one because literally every single point that that article made is the amalgamation of how does he see it in a man. 
Yes. He needs to physically see that in a man. And this is why, you know, I will talk smack about my husband all the time. Yes, he talks too much. Yes, I get annoyed easily at a lot of the fact that he talks too much. But here's, he, I have married a saint of a person because one of the first things that he said to me when I was pregnant was that he said, our son will know how to love because I will show him how much I love you. Mm. And my husband is very emotionally intelligent in terms of the fact that he will discuss his emotions despite my cold, bitter, angry heart that doesn't want to discuss feelings ever with anyone. Ask my therapist, he knows. Um, he will openly discuss his emotions. He will force me to discuss my emotions. Right. I don't mean force as in like a bully type way. I mean, there will no, be- No, he, he, he um, challenges you. He pushes yeah. you, yes. In a good way, in, in yeah. the way that we grow. And I think that's important for young men to see uh, is an older male, specifically their father, you know, but if whatever older male is in their life, if it's an older brother, if it's a teacher, if it's a this, they need to be around somebody that isn't afraid to express and explain emotion. Now, here's the thing. Um, so the positive part about like your situation is that your son is a cancer, so he probably is gonna be emotionally in tune. Um, so that's probably not gonna be your yay. No, wait, but he has an Aries moon, I believe. So, look. Yes, so that might be a little bit of a battle. Maybe a little bit of a battle. <laughs> uh, his ego and his emotions might have like a little bit of a head there. But I will say that, like, I think that, yes, so I said the father figure, right? That's the biggest, thing. I mean, that's the biggest example. But then the world. So, for instance, everything you just um, uh, said about Jeremy, I don't look at him like this. But have you ever heard of the word simp? Yes. Right. So then how do you, what's the word? Like chip away at what the world will do once he's out in the world, right? And he's behaving the way that you guys are teaching him to be expressive and all this stuff. How do you, when he comes back and he's being called a simp and all, because that's the world. That's the crappy part. That's the crappy part. That he can get all this nurturing and then all this example. But then in the world, the way the toxic masculinity is set up, it's like, how does he go to school? And then it's like, oh, you're having a conflict with somebody. And the end as a little boy goes, let's talk it out. Yeah, well, and they push it. I do plan on probably homeschooling him for a little bit, only because of my own paranoia. Sorry, I, I love I love New York, I, I love America, but let's be real about the educational system in this country. I don't trust it, I don't trust my child's safety. I'm really sorry, but I just don't. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really based on my paranoia more than anything else, the reason why I wanna homeschool him. But I also want him in extracurricular activities. I want him in martial arts, I want him in music, I want him in stuff like that where he there's expression. And I think what you're talking about is definitely a fear of mine just in general about him being because even when he gets older when he when he's in high school whether or not i'm still having him homeschooled or not by then you know his desire to be around more people you know that will affect his behavior i think that is all about the foundation that you set 
and the, in the formative years, you set a foundation of making somebody strong. Yeah. And making and letting somebody be aware of the idea of empathy for another human being. Yes, that person may have called you a simp and it probably has a lot more to do with their insecurities and inability to be as mature as you are. Right, right. You know what I mean? Um, they're trying to make you change and conform to what they want you to be. And you teach them about being a nonconformist. You teach them about not changing who you are as a person at your core to fit in ever. Yeah. Because that never works out. And that's a big thing I think you need to set in place before, like, uh, before a child gets to high school or anything else. Because by that time, they're so obsessed with fitting in and being cool and being liked by everybody. Even junior high school. Yeah, they'll try anything. Yeah, even junior high school. Like, but there was a video I saw. I wish I could find this video. If anybody finds the video, please send it to me. Um, there was a, a little kid. So it was a little black kid, and he's sitting in his car, and he's talking to camera about somebody making fun of his sneakers. Mm -hmm. And, like, the whole point of his speech is, like, I'm not worried about what you think about my sneakers. Like, I'm a good person. Like, I don't care what you think about my sneakers. Like, they go on my feet. You know what I mean? And he's giving this whole impassioned speech, and it's beautiful, and it's beautifully mature. And you can tell he was raised to be so strong. Or even those videos you see of children doing affirmations in the mirror, those kids that are doing those affirmations, like, I'm beautiful, you're amazing, like, all this stuff. I think that's important to teach at a young age and keep reinforcing as they go. The hard part is taking the time. If these people with their loud ass cars, um, so I get really mad at that now. I have mom ears and I'm like, I'm like, it sounds 12 times louder to me than to everybody else who's not a mom. So I get really bothered by that. Um, I think it's I think it's just very important because once they do go out into the world, if you have not set that foundation strong enough, they are going to feel self-conscious. They are going to get affected by that. But you can build such a strong foundation in a, in a child that they will gravitate towards other people who have that same strong foundation. Yeah, I mean, I think that like it's so funny. I was having this conversation with my sister the other day. Um, because we were talking about my niece, who's uh, about two. Mm -hmm. um, and we were talking about awareness mm -hmm. as a parent of who your child naturally is. Now, I personally am a believer that um, people come into this world already with a set programming. Because I do believe in souls. I believe in consciousness that happens from within. Now, I'm not saying that um, this person, and I'm, I'm not trying to say that like, oh, I think that this person has all the knowledge of the world. I, you know what I mean? Because they're still conditioning. They're still uh, the growing process and the learning process. But I do think that there are certain fundamental personality things that babies come with, right? And that's why I don't believe when people go, oh, um, here's just my guide to parenting because your child is your child. You can literally have twins and they're going to be different human beings. Like they, sorry, one second. Now I'm. No, I, I hear it. I hear it. Um, so, I it was me. so like, I feel like 
for instance, it could literally be identical twins who share DNA and are different human beings. So that's how I like to, in my brain, explain that people come programmed with their personalities to an extent. So I think that is a really important thing to notice as well. I do not think that traditionally, at least in my experience, culturally and all of that, parents parented being conscious of who their child fundamentally is. I think they parented with who they wanted their child to be or what they wanted of their child, rather than first understand who your child is and accept them for who they are and then learn how to parent for that child, right? So I was saying that, sorry? That was something that me and Jeremy discussed too, where I was like, we cannot pre-program our child. Yeah. We cannot make him into a little comedian or a little musician or a little this or a little that. He will find his passions. We're not going to force him to like your same sports team. We're not going to force him to like the, the same comedians or artists that I like. He will find his path and he will build his own path and we will respect that. He is a part of who we are. He is not our carbon copy, meaning our DNA joined has made a new thing. And that new thing needs to be respected. I can already tell that from little baby traits that he has, I can already tell that he is very anxious and very sensitive. I can already tell from his little baby traits, he's not a very like, he's a very smiley, adorable baby with me. Right, right. But you're his comfort zone. Exactly. When he is around other people, he can be very suspect and quiet and keep to himself. Yeah, like that picture you posted the other day. <laughs> He's clinging to me. His, his face was like, what is happening? Nobody. Yeah, exactly. We did not invite guests over. I wasn't given a 48-hour uh, notice. Nobody told me about this. I just woke up in a cute outfit. I take <laughs> issue with what's going on. He was like, uh, it is not on the calendar that is located in the kitchen. Yes. Um, the kitchen calendar, which is right behind me right now. He's like, I walk past that every day. And by walk, I mean walk past in mommy's arms. And I did not see anything in there. No, there was not. I was not consulted on this. Therefore, I should not partake <laughs> in this hangout session. <laughs> but okay. So like, yes, uh, th- that, that is in, in interest, right? You're talking about like being a comedian and stuff like that. But like, I'll give you an example. Um, sorry, Michelle, if you're listening, I'm going to, I'm not going to, well, I just put her on blast, but I'm not going to say anything negative. So I hope you guys, if you heard that, I'm so sorry. I literally, I just burped. And I was oh, like, I, I thought you farted. I was like, oh. I would own up to it if I did. I'd be like, sorry, guys, I farted. <laughs> and then I'd laugh hysterically. So um, the other day, her and I are having a conversation about my niece, who, mm-hmm. like, when my niece does something bad, and, you know, they're children, they will do, but no, I don't like using the word bad. When my niece does something wrong, like for instance, children will pull your hair. Children will eventually try to slap you and see if they could get away with it. That doesn't make them a bad kid. All kids will try to slap you and see if they can get away with it. I think what was very interesting is when she told me she does that, then my sister gets very stoic and like upset, visibly upset, so she can see she did something wrong, other than just telling her, don't do that, right? She gets stoic. But not like in a rude way, but just like in a, you know, that like mommy's mad type of way. But then my niece then will like um, grab her face and go, um, you're okay. You're okay. And, my, and, my, and I tell my sister, what do you think she's doing there? And she goes, she's telling me I'm okay because she thinks that I'm mad. And I go, maybe I'm overthinking you. She's manipulating you. Exactly. I go, she's patronizing you. 
And she goes, what do you mean? And I go, okay, again, maybe I'm giving her too much credit, but I like to give kids credit to an extent of their intelligence. I, I feel like you can see things in, in people's eyes where you're like, there's an awareness here that they may not be able to vocalize it, they may, but they know something, right? Like, I thought, I, and it's not like they're gonna go out and slice somebody, but there's definitely an awareness. So I go, or is it that she's touching your face because then, you know, there's physical contact. She's aware that if she touches you, it's more, you know what I mean? Kind of like when she gets a boo-boo, you touch her. I go, and she's kind of being like, get over it. Yeah, well, it's very much like, it's like, don't be mad at me. Don't, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah, you're, oh, I, I know I did something wrong and you're mad, but this moment is over. So can we move on? And I, she goes, I mean, I don't, like, she was just like, I don't see, I didn't see it like that. She didn't agree or disagree with me. I, that's less of the point. It's more of the fact that, is it a possibility your child is intelligent, emotionally intelligent enough to recognize she can manipulate you and she's too. Oh, at a certain age, children totally know they can manipulate you. They so, are completely aware of it in, in, in that when I do this face, mommy likes it. Mm -hmm. when I do this face, mommy doesn't like it. So if I want mommy to not like me right now, I'm going to do this face because right. I know she doesn't like it. They right. learn the basics of manipulation. And right. honestly, I probably would have thought along the same lines as you and corrected that behavior right away. That, and that's just for me. Like if Jaden were to do that to me, I'd be like, no, mommy's not okay. That is not okay to do. Okay. Don't tell mommy she's okay. Mommy's not okay. Now here's my here's my thing, and this is where I feel about the parenting part. Yeah. Where it's like, so then what comes next? So you do that, right? Usually nine out of ten times the kid will either storm off crying. Crying. Or I mean, I mean, if they're like a little bit like super intelligent or sociopathic, they just won't care and move on. Yeah. But well, either way, how do you get your point across? For me, that's a conversation. It always has been. And I've always talked to kids like they were tiny adults. I've right. never spoken to children like they weren't cognitive beings that did not understand. With um, Erica's daughter, when I first met Scarlett, when Scarlett would be hysterical crying, I would sit her up on something high so she could make eye contact with me. And I'd be like, okay, look at me. Look at my eyes. Look at my eyes. And I would get her to calm down. I'd be like, take a deep breath. Tell me what's wrong. Right. And her way of communicating, however cut up, however messed up it was, she would tell me what was bothering her. But every time I got her to look at me and take a deep breath, she would calm down. It's like she was just like mesmerized by the fact that I was so calm and not yelling at her, not mm -hmm. screaming at her, just talking to her like a grown up and being like, okay, we need to talk about this. Right but I'm not trying to scare you. I think right. our scare tactics that a lot of us were raised with, like, yeah. no, I don't need to yell at you. You're a tiny person. Right. I'm frustrated, I'm gonna yell at some point. That's gonna right. happen, I'm gonna do it. And then I'm going to, guess what? Apologize, because right. I'm going to normalize me being able to say to my son, mommy was wrong. I say it to him now, I say it to him now. Mommy made a mistake, mommy, because I know for me, I've always had a problem admitting when I was wrong. I've always had a problem saying sorry about certain things. So in order for me to raise someone who is not like that, who doesn't have that as a bad trait, I want to be able to explain to him, yes, I can say saying that you were wrong or that you made a mistake is okay. Just like 
mommy not being happy with you is okay as long as the two of you can talk it out and I can explain to you what upset me in the first place instead of letting you go off in your little world and like in that same article like the second thing they bring up is empathy mm -hmm. teaching your child empathy is a great way to get them to understand do you feel empathy can be taught though yes because if you do it in a what if scenario yeah they do say that feelings yeah it, it, they understand feelings like oh well especially with like let's say hitting like if your kid hits somebody well do you like being hit what if so and so had hit you how would you feel you would be angry you would want to hit them back or whatever their response is well how do you think they feel now that you hit them and getting them to understand putting themselves in other people's shoes and yes. being oh i i wouldn't like that i don't like that now let me ask this question because we're talking specifically about boys right so i think that like yes on a human level that's not like that's a that's a great approach but you know boys and girls we just are different um physically let's call it so biologically we are different and i think the question becomes after a certain age right how do you continue to have somebody be empathetic how do you teach being empathetic about situations that they will never go through and i think that's even hard in adults right i'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying it, even this um, article you sent didn't give us a, a solution to that where I'm like, how do you teach a boy to understand the experience of a girl? How? When we will never understand what it is to have a, like balls and a penis, they will never understand menstruation and they will never understand all of that having open discussions where it's like, yeah. I am a girl. I'm going to have to explain femininity and the idea of being a woman and the idea of what girls go through, little girls even, yeah. through my own eyes and go, this is what, you know, this is what mommy knows about women. This is what you need to know about women and teaching that at different ages and making sure, and this is probably the hardest part about that, is letting your child feel comfortable enough to have those discussions and ask those questions. Because mm -hmm. what happens to a lot of kids is they're not made to feel comfortable enough to ask about how the opposite sex feels or to ask their questions to their parents because parents quite often, they shun away from those conversations. And every, and I will, I will say this, I've said it to kids before, every rebellious child I know is rebellious because they cannot talk to their parents about the millions of questions they have. They end up being rebellious because they're getting their answers from people who don't know shit either. They're talking to other kids. They're talking to people outside of their circle who don't know their personality like their parents do. Like if, if you have an anxious kid, but that kid is like, I wanna be more social and I wanna do this. And then their friend's like, yeah, come to this party. And your kid has a panic attack because they don't know him and they just want him to go to this party, you did not create that bond that let that kid know, let me talk to my parents and be cool with that statement of, I'm gonna talk to my parents, I'm gonna talk to my mom. Like for me personally, I never had an issue saying that. I never had an issue, even if I was frustrated saying, I gotta talk to my parents first. They created that level of comfort in that I knew, look, they're the authority figures in my house, out of respect, I'm gonna to talk to them, but also because 
I love my parents. I want to talk to them about stuff like this. You know, I couldn't ask them every question in the book, obviously, because Latino parents are not like, you know, my parents weren't like, yay, let's talk about sex. But when it came up and I wanted to talk to my mom about it, it's not like she really shied away from it. Right. I mean, I think this is where you and I, um, you know, the discussion is very interesting because at the end of the day, we don't know what it is to be a boy. You know what I mean? Like, we really don't. And I... I, my theory is that I think that a lot of, you know, using what we were talking about earlier, toxic masculinity is not only reinforced by men, it's also reinforced by women, particularly mothers. I truly believe that. So I think that it's a fine line between not knowing what it is to be a boy, not pretending to know what it is to be a boy, but being constantly aware of what it is to be a woman yeah. who has to interact with men, with men. right? And, and this is gonna be a man in some woman's life someday, yeah. right? No, well, I mean, just uh, uh, assuming, assuming whatever his life is. Yeah. But um, I think that, I think that the other interesting thing that I saw here was um, they talked about his sense of self. I love that, yeah. Um, I, I saw this tweet the other day that said something like, uh, could you be with a man that, uh, like something like lost his job or doesn't have a job or has like a low paying like mm -hmm. McDonald's type of job. Can you be with a man like that? And then I, I saw like a retweet that said something like, um, not if he's not happy with himself. So you could be with a broke man if he's happy being broke. I'm sure there's gonna be another issue. But if he's not happy with himself and, and it was so interesting because I felt so torn by that statement only because um, men are expected to find self sense of self in success. So using that tweet to, to an example, he's not happy with himself because he's broke. He's not happy with himself. So you know what I mean? Like that could even be damaging when you think of men who end up being stay at home dads. So you assuming that because he doesn't have this high power job, he's not happy with himself. So I had two different ways of looking at it, but to use that for this example, yeah, there is something to be said about his sense of self. Yeah. I do believe that um, a man, and I'm saying men rather than little boys, um, because that's the ultimate like uh, goal, right? A man who is secure in himself, not cocky, secure in himself, um, is constantly working on his insecurities, which he will have. Yeah. He will have them. But the thing is, I truly believe there are malicious people and then there are hurt people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of men who hurt, particularly women, mm -hmm. are, like I said, some are malicious, but most are hurt. And so if he does not have a good sense of self, if he does not know how to treat himself, value himself, any of that, he will not value a woman, right? Vice versa, because the same thing could be said. Because he doesn't value himself. And it's very true, you know, as corny as it might sound, as, as cliche as it might sound to people, you, you have a lack of ability to love someone if you do not learn to love yourself first. You will, you will pick the wrong people every single time because you're trying to fill a void that cannot be filled by another person. It can right. only be filled by you and you have to do that work on yourself, which is the scariest part. Um, I love the idea of, teaching someone to have a strong sense of self 
particularly with men, because I don't think, I honestly don't think men are taught to value themselves. Uh, unless, because they, they also tap, tap, um, touched on this. They're taught to value themselves through praise. Yes. And that's the key. Learning how they have to teach them to value themselves, but not being like, you're the smartest, you're the most, yeah. you're the best basketball player, you're the most handsomest. Like, even but though you may feel like you're giving a compliment, he's going to value himself on those things rather than his person. So if he can't value his person and his humanity, what in the hell makes you think he's going to value someone else him he's the best at something and then in the next instant he he turns out not to be the best at it some other kid was better now his self-worth has gone down because now he's looking at it like wait that kid is better than me that kid is worth more than me because i was the best baseball player yesterday i was the best basketball player yeah because you put his value to something that's not within outside of him right and that's the important thing is making sure that you don't set that kind of uh, precedent where it's like, yeah, it's not about how good you are at this. First yeah. of all, it's about that you had the balls to do it in the first place. You right. went and you did that. Good for you. A lot of people don't do that because they're scared. You didn't do it. Even if you, you did that. And even if you were scared, you did that, which is even a bigger deal and bigger congratulations. But it has to do with you having that personal victory, not you being looked at as the MVP of whatever activity was going Right. On. Even if you are the best basketball player, at the end of the day, the best basketball player should be revered for the person that he is inside, yeah. not for the game that he plays outside. Right? Yes, he should get the accolades of whatever the awards may come in that system. But that's not his value and his person. So I think that that's how we then treat others based off of what we value, what we're taught to value or how we're taught to value, how we're taught value. Yeah. Right? Not what to value and who to value, how we're taught just the definition of value. If you can ask a child today, how do you define value? You will learn a lot about their parents if yeah. you see what, what their answer is. Yeah, absolutely. You will, yeah. you will learn a lot about what their parents teach them because you'll have, you'll have those kids that will say stuff like, oh, value is um, having a lot of money. Value is, you know, having a fancy car. Value is blah, blah, blah. Anything that's outside of yourself. And right. any money, you know, I'm just taking a wild guess that if we did this thing, more little girls would have a grounded sense of value than little boys. Um... I actually think little boys will give us a very capitalistic sense of value. Mm -hmm. And I think little girls will give us a very vain sense of value. So it's going to be about um, the physical things. I think that to some degree, none of us appreciate the inner thing at all. Women, girls in particular, just like, I think we have better understanding of it, but then we're psychologically programmed to hate ourselves. Well, we're right? psychologically programmed and well, we're conditioned to believe that this is what beauty looks like. This is what right. this looks like. This is what this looks like. But I think what I was thinking was in terms of the amount of conversations that parents will have with little girls versus little boys over something like value. Based on, for me, if I had had a little girl, just based on the fear of if I don't teach her to value herself, she might end up making the same or worse mistakes than I did because I didn't value myself. As a female for her own safety, I want right. to teach her 
to value ourselves. Whereas we don't have conversations with men or little boys about value in that sense of their personal safety, like your value. Because we have less fear for men. Because what you just said, it's out of fear. That's yeah. all it is. I think that like what people do, um, and this is the wrong sense of value to teach women or little girls. It's like we're, we're taught to value our virginity. We're taught to value our body. Basically, we're, we're taught to value our objectification to the male gaze. It's as simple as that. Men are not discussed value because it always comes down to capitalism. It always comes down to monetary. They yeah. are taught to, they don't fear walking out and being raped or harassed. You know, they fear walking out and not making a lot of money or becoming somebody. Well, you talk to one of your heartbroken male friends about uh, a breakup they're going through and they're like, I gave her everything. I paid her rent. I paid her car thing. And, and it's like, did, did, what, what? That's monetary stuff that she honestly probably could have taken care of on, on her own. And what you did was unfortunately take that burden off of her, which teaches her nothing. Right. But you looked at that as your only value in the relationship. Like that was the only value you had. Or and that was the only thing you were taught to get. Yeah. So they actually, some, not all, think they're actually doing well. But it's the same way that the coin can flip. And a lot of men use that to like um, oppress women. Like I'm the, she, she ain't nothing without me. I'm the one, how she gonna pay her rent? You know what I mean? It still comes down to that. It's like literally, and it's, it's so interesting because the more, um, this actually goes into what we were uh, talking about the other day, which is um, the, the show, The Morning Show. Mm -hmm. it, it really does come down to um, masculine culture, to uh, 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 the way that we look at, I mean, the way that we exist in a world as gender men and women right? Using the gendered words um, as men and women. So in the morning show, they talk a lot about sexual misconduct and predatory culture, mm -hmm. right? There's even something in, there's even something predatory in what we're talking about a man who knows he can be predatory if he has a lot of money, for instance. Yeah. Right? Like that, there is something in that, like a man who kind of feels like I could get anybody I want because I have this high paid job, I have fly ass clothes, you know what I mean? Like car, blah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think, so you've seen the show, right? Have I seen the show? My mommy brain is like. It's <laughs> on Apple TV, Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon. Yes, yes, I watched it. Um, I watched it, I think, early on in the pandemic because Brett Butler's on it. And Brett Butler, I reason for starting comedy, um, was one plays somebody's very abusive mother, like very verbally abusive. Reese Witherspoon. Um, and I remember being like, "No, Brett, no, don't, don't be that person." But I also love her, so I was just happy to see her um, uh, working. And I remember just thinking, "Wow, what a crazy show to come out in these times." Well, yeah, that's. The, I mean, the show was already. Um, turn on a light real quick because it's hella dark in here right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay um the the show was apparently being created uh and then like it was right before the um 
Weinstein scandal. And then I believe that what happened was once the Weinstein thing happened, they decided to really amp up the idea of like the sexual misconduct. And I thought that was like, first, um, for any piece of like um, content to criticize its own industry in the content is ballsy. It's ballsy as hell because, you know, I mean myself, I will say this. I have not worked to any level at like um, network TV, like at a morning show or anything like that. But being from New York City, I have had jobs at networks that were like very low level. So even if they weren't, like I said, the, the ABCs, there is a culture that the show talks about that is real. There yeah. is a hierarchy culture. There is a culture of silence. It was one of the reasons why I didn't personally want to pursue a PA to like an assistant type of job there because there's an overwork you, um, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not going to talk as much about predatory, but um, overwork you, silence you, kind of work to the bone type of culture mm. that then the part I didn't experience, but the show tackles has an added effect of possibly predatory culture. Yeah. Right? So um, I think that that's very interesting that they tackled it and that they cast Steve Carell because, you know, Steve Carell, we all see him as Michael Scott. So to put him in this character, I don't know if you saw to the end. Um, no, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it to the end. So to put him in a character that you question, um, they use the word sexual misconduct right and a lot of it is tackling the concept of power how men use power in these type of industries and so power can be at in the most subtle of ways it's everything from um does she wanted it see because it's so interesting how it tackles a uh, rape culture not rape in itself yeah you know what i mean because rape is something that people think of and we think of like the the most a uh, uh, harsh, uh, uh, crazy idea. And that's a real thing. But rape culture has different cleavages, right? It kind of tackles within coercion and it tackles within, um, uh, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna break down rape culture, but it goes in these like crevices that really make you even as a woman question, Jesus, how many times have I let things slide even if they weren't happening to me? And not that I even purposely let them slide, but I'm conditioned to, I, as a woman, maybe protecting myself so much that that particular predator in that particular workplace didn't target me. And the person that they targeted may not have in particularly been a friend of mine, so I didn't know what was happening. But I know enough about this world to have to set the foundations of protecting myself so do you see what i'm saying like that's what it tackles in a way that is like it's hard to watch because because yeah. you also start to ask yourself then what happens when they're your friend when the person accused is this your is something i've always talked to people about because people love to vilify someone automatically and Anytime something has happened, and trust me, trust me, trust me, I've been through my fair share of sexual harassment, coercion, everything, being in entertainment since I was 17. I have been through it. 
and I'm not victim shaming or victim blaming in any way. But when I've looked at it, I've also been like, that is somebody's brother, son, whatever. And how would you feel if like your favorite uncle or your brother was going through a situation like that? Because you never know. You just never know, man. See, I think that's where, um, you know, to tie it back into what we were talking about in like um, raising boys. Yeah. Where it's like, you're right. It could be your favorite uncle. It could be your favorite whomever, you know, but they could be a predator. Yeah. And the fact is we live in a world that is set, met up. How do you handle that as an individual that your loved one could be a predator? Right. And here's the funny thing. I will, I, I will say this. I truly do believe a lot of men lie to themselves about their predatory ways. But I think some people are, it's so socially normal that some don't even notice it. Like legit, don't even notice it. I, I had a friend tell me something about like the guy who keeps um, buying you drinks after he's already aware that you're not gonna sleep with him, but you're still trying to talk to him, right? Like, meaning you're still trying to communicate with him. Maybe you will go on a date with him and sleep with him at a later time. But on that evening in particular, he already has gotten the whiff that you are not going to. But he start, he keeps liquoring you up in the hopes that in itself is wrong. It is so, when you think about that, you go, did he do anything wrong? Well, let's just say they walk away that evening. Let's just say nothing goes down. Technically, no. But the act of um, she's playing hard to get is a reason for why he's buying those extra drinks. Yeah, I will tell you a story. I will not name any names, but I will tell you a story about when I was um, probably about four or five years in comedy. I want to say I was that far in. Maybe, maybe I was a little further in. Um, I was hanging out with two male comics that I took to be friends mm -hmm. and we were literally we were hanging out and we ended up hanging out at you know um one of their apartments and we were chilling and it became a situation where it was like hey why don't you just stay here it's getting late and me being like oh yeah these are my friends I said okay cool guys like I get up I run at five in the morning so if you're cool with that I'm gonna get up I'm gonna run at five mind you we're hanging out it's one or two o'clock in the morning the both of them are trying to get me liquored up. But I drank one like wine cooler and was essentially like, no, I'm good. I got to get up and run in the morning. And I kept saying that to every drink that was offered, no matter how lame they called me, no matter how much they teased me. I kept saying, no, I'm getting up at five in the morning and I'm going to run. So I will have this one and that is it. Well, one of the guys gives me his bedroom to sleep in, right? You go sleep in there, I'll sleep on the couch. Fine, great. Something told me, and this is where I feel like intuition plays a good part in this as well. Something told me like, hey, don't go right to sleep. Stay up for a little bit. Because I have a feeling somebody's going to come in the room. And sure enough, I stayed up and somebody walks in the room. And the one who, had, who gave you the room or the other one? The one who gave me the room walks in the room and we're just talking, whatever, kind of bullshitting, you know, about 
comedy in general. And then he says to me, I just want you to know that I came in here because the other guy said, if you don't go in, <clears throat> if you don't go in and try to have sex with her, I will. That was a legitimate discussion between two people that I considered friends. Now, here's the question I would ask. Try to have sex with her? Like, meaning, I'm a, you know, I'm gonna try to spit some final game? Or are we talking force? Yeah. Right? Like, that's the question you had to sit in your head with. Exactly. That's the problem. That's what I sat in my head with was, was I in danger? Even right. around two of my friends? Right. Two people that I really considered friends had this conversation about me? Right. Right. No, yeah. Like, men don't worry about, and this is a fact, men don't sit, like, if I was to invite a, a friend over, a guy friend over, and then be like, um, yo, you, you could go sleep in my bedroom, I'll sleep in the living room, hypothetically. He don't ever sit there like, let me stay up because I have a feeling. And then later, I come in and like, yo, you know, me and Gina was out there. And she said, if you don't go put a cucumber in his booty hole, I'm going to no. do it. <laughs> in his booty hole right now. He, men don't worry about that. They do not. And you can't act like you do, guys. Don't, don't try to act like you do. And the, and the thing is that that's kind of, you know, just in, in the wrapping it up of like that whole thing where it's, it really comes down to how do you teach men that from the foundation? Because yeah. basically, even, even the concept of rape and predatory behavior is something that goes into conditioning. I do think it has a lot to do with person. I do think that it has to do with damage and all this other stuff. But it does come into social conditioning. And at what point do you talk about that to a boy? At what point, you know, they talked a lot about what if, what if, what if. At what point do you give him the what if she, you know what I mean? Like you, cause you have to talk to your child about consent, right? Yeah. But at what point do you explain consent? Happen, yeah. So what degree, like, are you, are people, not you, people willing to talk to their child about consent? Like I said, if she's saying no to the drinks, I mean, I can understand you get another round and at the second round, you might ask her again. Cause you know, I've been known to the first time I go, no, 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 I don't want to drink. And then an hour later, I'm like, you know what? I'll have a drink. I'll that drink. Yeah. I can understand the second one. But after the second one, and you're just like, you're sure, you're sure, you're shaming the person because you're like, oh, you're whack. No, you're trying to coerce this person. How do you talk to a boy about that? You know, like, mm. it's, it's, it's crazy when you think about when they say, is it harder to have a girl or a boy? First off, my thing is, it's hard to have anybody. Yeah, it's hard to have anybody. And the thing you hear about boys from everybody, from everybody is, oh, boys are so much easier. Mm, because of this. Effort, because we don't put in the effort. That's <laughs> why they're easier. It's easier when you don't have to fear for your life. So it's easier to raise somebody who doesn't have to fear for their life. Instead Simple as that. Teaching them that the other sex has to fear for their life. Yes. It is, it, it, it's, in my opinion, that is absolute crap because it is hard. It's not easier to raise there women, men, whatever. the damn thing I have done since becoming a mom that I would ever dare to describe as easy. 
There is not one thing that wasn't either time consuming or exhausting or emotionally painful in some way, physically painful in other ways. There is no part of this that I have looked at and been like, whew, well, thank God I had a boy. This sure is a brain. No, no part of me thinks that. That's, that's very dumb. I think, but that's because you're, you're, you know the answer really is it's not easy to have a human being. No, not at all. Is a human being, it is not easy. And then it's even worse that this human being will be affected by the world. Yeah. Whether they are the victim, whether, I mean, where they become a victim at some point, or whether they are the one who have hurt people, it is hard to raise a human being. And then even harder if that person may be um, many things. A, a woman may be, uh, um, you know, uh, homosexual, maybe transsexual, but even with men, even with cis hetero men, it is still hard because if you happen to have one that is emotionally intelligent, happens to raise one who is um, empathetic, even that person is going to have it in a way, not hardest, but hard within their male community mm -hmm. because they're a simp. So having human beings is hard, like no matter no matter what, no matter the gender, no matter what, it doesn't matter. No matter the sex of it. But they're all going to be hard to some degree. Or you're lazy and then you're just, it's not about hard or easy. You're just going with the flow and seeing how the life, the world, like makes of them. What makes of them. Which is not a great way to go about it when you're handing your child over to the world. Like here, you fix it. Or deal with it. Yeah, you deal with it. I don't, I don't want to deal with it. That's right. your job. I shouldn't have to, you know, you hear it from a bunch of comics. Like, I shouldn't have to talk to my kid. That's your job. Like, you talk to my kid. Hmm. And that's not how I want to be at all. Nope. Um, speaking of how I want to, I, I got to work on that. I don't know, but when my transitions went so you wrong. You do it so well when we have guests. You go, so we have a segment, but yeah. now just be like, let's get to the Dear Gina. We have a segment um, on the show. I don't know if you're aware of it. It's called oh. Dear Gina. Oh. And it's uh, our listeners, they write in and we answer questions for them. So I'll take a stab at it first and then I'll throw it your way. Oh. You can give them your opinion. So uh, yeah, let's just jump into that segment. <laughs> right now, uh, the Dear Gina. Uh, Dear Gina, is there a difference between being brutally honest and being mean? Ooh, I am still trying to figure that out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is you just asked this to an Aries. Yeah, you just asked the wrong side because that's be like, um, yeah, you're only being mean if the person's really soft. What are you, a wuss? What are you, crybaby? Um, I, I don't know. I struggle with that so much. I really do struggle with um, brutal honesty versus being mean. And it's all about the way that you word things. Everything comes down to how you word it. Like if somebody does something that you view as stupid and you go, that was stupid. You're a stupid person for doing that. Yeah, maybe in your mind, you're like, I'm being honest with this person because what they did was stupid. But now you've just put them down and you've made them feel like crap. So to them, you're being mean. Had you said, I don't think that was a great choice for you to make versus I think you're stupid or you're stupid. You see the difference in how people receive what you're saying. You know, when you say, I think, I think you made a bad choice, here's why I think you made a bad choice and why I think this would be better. You know what I mean? Um, I think that that's where people get messed up, mixed up is uh, they don't want to work on their verbiage. I've 
lately, especially lately, spent a lot of time trying to work on my verbiage, spent a lot of time trying to realize, okay, what do you want to say that's not going to destroy this person, but to get your point across? Because I know for me too, the things that I'm sensitive about aren't the things that other people are sensitive about. And so if somebody is sensitive about something and I'm aware of it, I need to keep that in mind in the language that I use to communicate to that person. Not everybody can be communicated to in the same way. Yeah, I, I agree. That's where you that's where you really figure out the difference between brutal honesty and being mean. For instance, one time my sister was dating this guy and my sister asked me, she said, well, what do you think of him? And I said, well, do you want me to answer as your sister or do you want me to be honest? And that's where I'm like, well, what do you, what do you need from me? Because if I answer honestly, you may not like what I say, but if I answer as your sister, my answer is gonna be the stock. If you're happy, then I'm happy. Because it's not my place to direct your life or tell you how to go. So yeah. what do you need from me? I, I appreciate the people in my life who are like, what do you need in this moment? Do you, right. need to tell you, do you need me to tell you everything I think is wrong with this? Or do you need me to be supportive? What do you need in this moment? I think that's an important thing to establish besides your verbiage is what that person needs in that moment. That's right. No, I agree. Oh, is it my turn? It's um, your turn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the difference between being brutally honest and being mean. I agree with everything you said. Um, I think that it's a lot of, um, so you're talking about verbiage. Yeah. So that's one. Um, but then there's also tone. Tone, right. yes. that's a big one that people forget. Tone matters. Yeah. Um, now, mind you, knowing when and where to address things. So there is no way you can tell tone through text. So that's what voice notes are for. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, just know that if you're going in an email, if you're in a text, understanding that people read it in the tone, um, that they either hear you in naturally um, they assume that you, you're speaking in or the one that they probably speak to themselves in. So that's how they're going to hear it. So yeah. understanding that if you're not doing it like physical or, or audio, uh, the verbiage matters, but understanding how that person might take it in to like tonally. So try to be as um, forward without, uh, like I, I had to say to somebody recently, that is unrealistic, but I didn't want to use the word unrealistic because yeah. I knew that in a message to this person, they would take offense. And they, I mean, I, I decided to be longer winded with this person in the, in the email. So I literally told them every re, everything that I would have to do for what they were asking so that then I could say, this is why I can't. Yeah. And in the end, I was saying it's unrealistic. Yeah. Without saying it's unrealistic, right? And then I was saying things like, I would love to work with you in the future and, and um, when there's more timely uh, work to this. So I was, my, my verbiage was very clear that this is about time. Yeah. Now, in some situations, we don't want to put that much effort for other people. So what do you do in that situation? Um, you still have to be aware of what you yourself wouldn't even like. So I know you just said it. I don't get offended by the same things that other people get offended by. 
But you may not get offended by the verbiage, but you might still get offended by the tone. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like it could be something that X, Y says to you and you're like, I don't care. That don't affect me. But then Z says to you with a different snappy tone and you're like, it's not what you said. It's how it's you, how you said, said it. Yeah. Right. So again, being very well aware of tone in yourself. I don't like this tone. I don't like to be spoken in this tone. Don't speak to people in that tone. And know that there might be a consequence because that's what they might consider me. Um, so yeah, it has to do with emotional intelligence because you have to be aware of your emotions, their emotions, human emotions, what's seen as mean, what's defined as mean. Um, but on the flip side, you are not responsible for everybody's reaction to what the truth is. So yeah. sometimes, sometimes, a f a, I don't wanna say fact, th sometimes things are what they are. Yeah. So if the answer is um, no, if the answer is uh, 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 to, you know to not to their liking because they have an expectation at the other side of this, Yeah. sorry, but you're not responsible for them. And they need to know that too. That it's like, if it's something that I'm not inconveniencing you, if it's something that I'm not harming you, but I'm setting boundaries or I'm just stating what it is, I will find the best way that I can. But sometimes just things, they are what they are. And try, that, that's where I tried, I, tell, I said this to um, a family member recently. This is where, I don't want to say be monotoned, but calm your level of um what can be seen as aggressive because sometimes there's like this there is a way to speak that goes um listen i'm just gonna say something you may not like it and i ahead of time i'm acknowledging that but x y and z you already told them right you warned them other times if it just comes flirting out, you're probably being mean because you didn't think about it. Yeah. If you don't take the time to think, I guess the, the simplistic answer to that is if you're not taking the time to think about what you're saying, you're most likely being mean. If you're not taking the time to consider all the factors, then you're probably going to lean towards mean rather than brutally honest. And even brutal honesty is always a little borderline mean. That's why it's brutal honesty, not yeah. patient, kind honesty. No. It's brutal honesty, you know. Well, um, that's so brutal. Yeah. The word brutal does not connotate niceness. Well, how about this? The word brutal does not connotate easy. No. But something cannot be easy, but still be nice. Yes. So it might not be easy. Because I mean, brutal is also a very harsh word to use for that kind of honesty. I think... Um, I think maybe that's an antiquated phrase, brutal, brutal honesty, or where I think it's just honesty. It just seems brutal because it's honesty. You know what I mean? Where it's just somebody really being honest with you. Which is why I like to tell people, I'm just going to be very blunt. Yes. Because blunt is the same thing as brutal honesty. Yeah. And blunt is like the, I feel like a better way of describing it. You know, being blunt, being a person that's very blunt. I say what I mean, I say what I feel, I say what's on my mind, regardless of the fact I can't control how you're going to react to this and it needs to be said, so I'm going to put it out there. But there's no brutally blunt. No, no. No, 
Blunt is blunt, and you can still be kind and blunt. Yes. And you can be mean and blunt. Yeah. That's but, the choice that you make as a person, depending on how much work you want to do. Right. So for this person or anybody in this situation, uh, try to be more blunt instead of brutal. Yeah. Take the word brutal out. Get the connotation of brutal out of your brain and just be more blunt. And, then, you, will, and you will maybe, let, you might, might find yourself going closer to being less mean. Yeah. Well, on that note. On that note. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to thank our guest, Catherine, for being on today. Catherine, thank you uh, for coming. Tell the people where they can find you. First off, I wasn't the guest. It was the breast pump that was the guest. First of all, I'd like to thank my breast pumps uh, for their cameo. Uh, thank you to my anime boobs. Thank you to everybody who made this episode possible. Uh, <laughs> Catherine, tell the people where they can find you. They can find me at um, Catherine G. Mendoza, at Catherine G. Mendoza on Instagram, and at Kathy Grace24 on Twitter. Kathy is K-A-T-H-I-E. You guys know you can find me at Gbrione on Instagram, at Gbrione80 on TikTok for as long as TikTok will be around. Uh, the website is ginabrione.com or .net. Check out The Floor is Lava on Amazon or Ha Comedy Festival on HBO. Uh, you guys also, uh, bleh, 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 bleh. I don't know what I was going to say there. So let's just forget that I said also because my brain farted. And uh, <laughs> I'm done. I'm done for the day using... <laughs> Type Gina Brione on Amazon, on HBO, YouTube, You'll Google. Find You'll find it somewhere. Yep. And uh, you know I love to end the show with a piece of advice my mom gives me to this day. The knife throws a lot at you. Handle it one catastrophe at a time. One catastrophe at a time, people. Until next time. This is Goodbye, everybody. Bye, Catherine. Okay. Do it like that. Yeah. You the kind of chick that's ready to fight back. Yeah. Looks damn good, but really she type bad. Mm -hmm. Go to sleep, I call him my nightcap. Born killer, you a born killer. Mm. Go on, get him. Go on, go on, get him. Mm.